All right, so I have uh, some difficult questions for you to answer. Maybe. Um, I might have a difficult question for myself to answer. No, I'm going to steal this stool right here. (coughs) All right, so we started out um, this conference, and uh, we looked at uh, First John, and uh, you need to fill in this blank. Like, uh, fill in this blank. God is what? Light. Good. God is light. Good. All right. And um, we then learn from Ephesians five that what does light do? It reveals things. Yeah. And then uh, we learn that um, in First John, God is revealing something specific. Like this is the message that we have heard and seen and declared to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And we were learning that what God was revealing is something that we couldn't know ourselves. And that is that the Lord Jesus is the source of, of a real, true, abundant, eternal life. That that life is as, eter- as abundant as it is eternal. And um, so we were looking at that idea that God is light. And that uh, He reveals things, even all the way back into uh, creation where... He's uh, um, revealing himself, and uh, like with the order and the um, the life that he's able to instill in creation, and then uh, the life that he's able to give through the Lord Jesus. All right, and then in the next session, we were looking at the light of the gospel, and uh, when we were looking at the light of the gospel, what is our default position? Like, where do we? What's our default position? Where we start out, whether we like it or not. Yeah, in darkness, right? Not only are we in darkness, but there's two other problems. What are the two other problems? We're, we're, yeah, we're blinded. The God of the saints has blinded the mind, so you got a blindfold on. And there's one other problem. Almost. Yes, you're in danger. Yeah, you're in danger. You're under wrath. Good. So you're in a position where you're... Uh, in danger, and you got this blindfold on, and you're in darkness. Well, the light of the gospel shines, and you see that light. But the God of this age is blinding the mind. So a lot of times, it's our, our way of thinking that keeps that blindfold on. Maybe it's something uh, you know deeply philosophical, like you are a diehard nihilist, or maybe it's something not nearly as bad, but you uh, you know are just distracted by entertainment or whatever. So we were looking at things that. Uh, keeping that blindfold on. And uh, how do you get from the side of darkness into the side of light? What does the Bible call that move? What word does the Bible use to describe that move from darkness to light? It starts with a B. Yeah, believe. Like, you believe. So when we believe that the Lord Jesus died for us, um, we're moving from darkness translated into the kingdom of the Son and His love. Then, we were looking at, like, when you turn back and look at that condition of darkness, um, 
uh, we begin to see it a little bit differently. So in the in the uh, third session, we were looking at how one of the great challenges of the Christian life, like the modern Christian life, is that we are often compartmentalized. Like the person that you are at work might be different than the person that you are at home, which might be different than the person that you are at the chapel. So our life can sometimes seem uh, compartmentalized. But one way to kind of break through some of those compartments so that we live a life that's loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is to start looking at your life through a framework. All right, there's three parts to the framework. Then remember, like, what those three kind of things are that you can, like, think through as you think about, like, the books you read, the work you do. This is a tough one. Creation, good. Fall, and then redemption, yeah. So as you're, like, reading a book or as you're, like, going to work, think to yourself, like, what's the source? Like, God is the creator. So if God is the creator, like, what... um. Like, how does that play into the my, the work that I do? So if I'm an educator, I might think, all right, so God is the creator. So he's the source of all wisdom and knowledge. Like, he's the one that has all this wisdom and knowledge. Uh, but the problem is that that wisdom and knowledge is bent. It's twisted. It's, it's uh, impacted by the fall. And so we have wrong ways of thinking. And we have, uh, the, we're, we use the wrong tools of analysis sometimes. So then, I want to work with God in his work of redemption to lead people back to the source of wisdom and uh, knowledge in Him. So I want them to have the kind of tools where they can understand more about God and His truth. Well, maybe you're not a teacher. You know, maybe you're a mechanic. And in a similar way, you think, to like, this is God's created world. And we use these materials that He uh, gave us to make things like cars or tractors and machines. And... Uh, but there's a problem. Like, sin entered the world. The second law of thermodynamics, you know, there's a tendency toward disorder. Everything's falling apart. But I can work with God in this uh, theme of redemption, like helping things to uh, run smoothly again, and maybe even ministering to people who are in crisis whenever their car breaks down. And uh, I can show them that this is your car, but it might also be similar to the world around you. And that I have this message of redemption uh, to offer uh, uh, in the person of the Lord Jesus. So, um, to recognize that our life doesn't have to be these compartments, but rather that we can live a life that's honoring to the Lord by loving Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that brings us to today, where we're finally going to get to our theme verse. You know what it was? Is Alright, so Matthew chapter 5. Turn me in your Bible to Matthew uh, chapter 5 and uh, verse 14. Matthew chapter 5 will read verse 14 and 15. Alright, Matthew chapter 5 verse 14 and 15. 14 is our uh, theme verse. You are the light of the world. So when you read those words, like think back to I'm the light of, like, you are the light of the world, so I want to be like the light that the Lord Jesus was, showing and pointing out this idea that there's real, true, abundant, full life is found in a relationship with God and with His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, I want to share that light with the people around me. Like uh, we read in uh, Philippians yesterday, that... um, um, 
You're like this little colony showing like the Philippians like a little colony of Rome, showing the people around them what Rome was like. You want to be a little colony of heaven, showing people around you what heaven is like so that they want to join your colony. They want to um, know what kind of life you have. So you are the light of the world. He said, a city on the hill cannot be hidden, nor do they put a lamp, or nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Alright, so you saw, like, I lit this candle up here. and But you also notice I have this jar here. And uh, we're going to do a little science experiment. Uh, what's going to happen if I put the jar over the candle? Well, we're about to find out. <laughs> this is one of the, this is one of the um, fun things about science is sometimes things work exactly like I have planned <laughs> and sometimes not. Alright, so here's the verse. It says, Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. Or in my case, I light a candle and then I put it under this jar. What do you think is the number one thing that would cover our light? So if we're trying to live this testimony for Christ, if we're trying to live in a way that we are loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, what do you think is the number one thing that would prevent you from sharing the good news of the gospel from making a decision to take a stand for Christ you could summarize that up in one word just think about it for a second you could summarize it up in one word like what is it that you think is the number one thing that would hide your light like hide your light What is it? Fear. That's what I would think. Fear. Yeah, fear. Like, probably the number one thing. Fear. Fear of what others might think about you. Uh, fear of what others might do to you. Fear of what might happen to you. Fear of what you might lose. But I think probably the number one thing that prevents us from shining that light is fear. Except for one small thing. I don't know that it's necessarily fear. I think the problem isn't fear. I think the problem is that we fear the wrong thing. Um, let's say you're in school. I can relate to this because I work at a school. But let's say you're in school. And the teacher says, all right, I would like you to work on your assignment. No talking. And then the teacher busily starts grading papers at their desk. Everyone begins to work quietly on their assignment. You included. You're on, like, question four. And your friend beside you is like, Hey. Hey, I need help with question four. All right, what are you going to do in that moment? Because you're like, well... 
if I talk, I might get detention, but my friend really needs some help with question four. What are you going to do? Well, the answer to that question, what you're about to do, is going to be, who are you more afraid of? If you're more afraid of what your friend's going to think about you, and uh, you're more afraid of like how your friend's going to respond to you, then you know what you're going to do? You're going to say, all right, you find it on page 13. You're like, okay, thanks. But if you're more afraid of your teacher or getting detention or what, what they think about you, then you're going to write a little note that says, be quiet. <laughs> right? And you're not going to talk, right? So the question isn't, are you afraid? The question is, who do you fear more? What your friend thinks about you or what your teacher thinks about you? The question isn't like, when it comes to like, am I going to let my light shine? The question isn't, am I more afraid of like what my coworkers think or my neighbors think or or am I more interested in what God thinks about me? So the question isn't so much like, am I afraid? The question is like, who am I afraid of more? Now, um, I'll flip over to a Matthew chapter 10, and let's look at verse 28, because the Lord Jesus gives us some interesting insight about this exact problem, or about this exact question. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, the Lord Jesus says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So what He's saying is, look, you're going to have to choose who you're going to be more afraid of. People, or God. And when you're like weighing this decision, people can do things to you. Alright? People can definitely hurt you. People can definitely take things away from you. Uh, people can definitely make your life miserable. But at some point, their reach is going to end. Like at some point, the effect they can have on you is going to end. Like, it can only be temporary. There's only so much they can do and then they can't do anymore. Right? So he's like, yeah, I don't want to underestimate. Like, it, it can be painful. They can destroy your body. They can, there's a lot that they can do. But at some point, that ends. When you're thinking about like God, He can certainly affect physical things. But the problem is there's no limit then to what he can affect because he can also affect spiritual things. Like, there's no limit. Like, a person could definitely do things to you, but it's only temporary. God has an impact on you that can be not just temporary, but also eternal. He controls both physical and spiritual things. So if we recognize that reality, if we recognize that reality, it helps me better understand, like, who should I be afraid of? Like, who should I be worried about more? Should I be worried about more what people think? 
Yeah, well, they could take things from me. They could make my life miserable. They could uh, hurt me. But at some point, it's going to stop. And I'm going to enter eternity. Or should I be more afraid of like what God does? Because the effect that He has could be very physical. Like He has total control of things that are happening in this world. And He has a great effect about what happens for eternity. So if I please Him, then sure, He could take care of me here, or I could be miserable here. But the good news is, when I'm in His presence, He's like, hey, well done, good and faithful servant. And turn into the joy of your rest. Alright, that's eternal. So the Lord's like, yeah, when it comes to fear, fear is a very real thing. The question is, what are you going to fear? Who are you going to fear? Well, that raises the question then. Like, I don't want to fear what people think. I want to be more concerned about what God thinks. But, like, sometimes the problem is, like, do I have enough confidence that I've put my faith in the right thing? That I'm believing the right thing? (laughs) That I've made a decision to follow the right person? Well, um, turn with me to Romans chapter 1. And let's look a little bit about the benefit of putting your confidence in the gospel. That if you have decided to trust the Lord Jesus as your Savior, and you've decided to transition from the dark to the light, you have made a great decision. And I want to help you this morning build some confidence uh, so that you're not afraid of that decision. You're not afraid to shine that light. Like, not only are you doing something that pleases God, but you can be confident that when you're talking to other people, and they're like, I think you're a little crazy for the things that you believe, you can have some confidence to say, "Um, what I believe answers a lot of hard questions. Does your belief system answer those same questions equally as well? By knowing that what you believe, by knowing the gospel, answers hard questions in an intelligent, logical way because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. It's the foundation of wisdom. So if I'm fearing the Lord and I'm uh, building on that foundation, I can have some confidence so that I don't have to be afraid. Like, what I believe makes sense and it lines up in the real world in the face of real experiences. It holds up with good answers to very hard questions of life. And as you begin to understand some of those things, hopefully it builds your confidence. So you're more confident to share things about the gospel. Look at what Paul says, Romans chapter 1, and uh, verse 16. Very famous verse. But it's probably not what you think it means. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Now, normally when we read that, we're like, oh yeah, I'm not ashamed. That means I'm bold about the gospel. Well, kind of. Um, the verse is more emphasizing this idea that I'm bold because I'm putting my belief in a comprehensive uh, framework of thinking that answers the hard questions. Like, I'm not ashamed... Because I've got the best explanation for life. Alright, so the idea is that like, 
I'm not ashamed in the sense that I'm just uh, bold all the time to share the gospel, but it's to say, like, I am confident that the gospel is the best way of life. And if you question me about it, I've got good answers. Think of it kind of like this. Uh, in uh, Psalm 25, David says something like this. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. You know that song like, Unto thee, O Lord. Unto thee. You know, that's the, that's, the, that's the psalm, right? So he's like, Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Now when he says, like, Let me not be ashamed, is he like, thinking about being bashful and shy? No, he's thinking like, I've put my confidence in God. Did I put my confidence in the right person? God, don't let me be ashamed that I put my confidence in you. Deliver me from my enemies. And when God delivers him from his enemies, he's like, yes, I put my confidence in the right thing. So when it comes to the gospel, one of the things that can help us like, have less fear is that we can build confidence by knowing that the gospel answers some really hard questions. Um, yesterday, uh, Mr. Josh showed you a, this like slide that had some glasses on it, and in those glasses it had four big questions of life. You guys didn't write it down because you were like, I'll just get the slides later. <laughs> there's four, these are the four big questions of life. Right, like the question of uh, origin, like where did I come from? The question of uh, uh, purpose, like why am I here? The question of morality, like how do I live while I'm here? The question of destiny, like where do I go when I die? Four big questions, right? Well, let's take a look at Romans chapter 1, because Romans chapter 1 is going to answer some of these four big questions. Look down at uh, verse 20, for example. One of those four big questions is the question of where did I come from? Like, how did we get here? Well, Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For, since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So I've got to answer to the first question. Like, where did I come from? Oh, here it is. God created the world. Alright, so that's going to be the start of my like framework for thinking. Like, where did I come from? God created the world. Why am I here? Well, uh, let's keep looking. What's going to happen is uh, we're reading about how people have replaced God with an idol. And if you look down at um, verse 21, we get an idea of like, why am I here? He says, because although they knew God... They did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful. So people who have gone wrong, this is what they've done. They replaced God with an idol, and uh, they, they've uh, refused to glorify Him. So people who are obeying the gospel, people who are living the gospel, they recognize that God's the Creator. And then, why am I here? Well, it tells me, to glorify God. Because those who are rejecting God as the Creator are saying, I'm not going to glorify Him. Those that... Like, recognize God as a creator or saying, I am going to glorify Him. So what's my purpose in life? Why am I here? Well, to glorify God. Alright, it gives me a good answer to the question, like, why am I here? How do I live while I'm here? Like, what's my, what's my, um, code of conduct? Well, we'll find that in chapter 2 and uh, verse 6. 
where Paul's writing again about God's righteous judgment. He says, who will render to each one according to his deeds? So God's going to be this moral judge who has set a moral law who will render to each one according to his deeds. So how do I live while I'm here? Recognizing God's moral law and living in a way like my deeds, living in a way that is going to please him and satisfy his, his law. Then the question, where do I go when I die? Well, that's, again, chapter 2, verse uh, 7, the next verse. Who will render to each one according to his deeds? Verse 7, where do I go when I die? Eternal life to those who, by patient continuance and doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. So, where do I go when I die? Eternal life. I right, said, so what Paul's doing is like, here's the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it. Why? It answers some big questions of life. Like, how did I get here? Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Alright? So I've got a foundation. I know, like, this question of origin. Purpose. What do I do while I'm here? Who did not glorify God? So glorify God while you're here. That's your purpose for life. Glorify God. Alright? How do I live while I'm here? I'm going to live in a way that honors Him because He's a righteous judge that will render to each one according to His deeds. So I'm going to live a life that pleases Him. And then where do I go when I die? Well, eternal life. So I'm going to spend eternity with Him. Well, the Gospel is more than just salvation. Alright? So it's not just salvation. It's a way of life. That's what I was trying to point out yesterday with like uh, to remove some of these compartments. Like, I don't want to just live like Christian Dan while I'm at the chapel and work Dan at work. I want to be, I want the gospel to be my way of life, my way of thinking. Like, I want it to be every part of how I live. And Paul's like, that's exactly how the gospel works. It's every part of how you live. It's this worldview that's more than just I believe it and now I have life. It's that I believe it and now it's telling me how my life like the framework of my life. Well, interestingly, Romans is a book that summarizes the gospel. And because of that, it's also answering some of the hardest questions that we have uh, and that we ask. Like, for example, we might ask a question like this. Is man basically good? Or is man basically evil? Like, at our nature... What are we? Are we essentially good? Or are we are essentially evil? Well, Romans gives us an answer to that question. Is man basically good? Or is man basically evil? Well, chapter 2 and 3 are going to describe exactly what kind of people we are. Like if you look at, for example, in chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. It describes just how uh, just how corrupt we are. But it answers the question about man. Like, are you basically good or evil? Well, the gospel gives us an answer to the question. Man is basically evil. Like, we're going to run to people that say, oh, you Christians, you're weird. And, uh, when we when we're like, but I can be confident in my belief in the gospel because it answers hard questions. How do you answer the question about, for example, man being good or evil? Oh, they might say 
a very Marxist kind of answer. We were learning about Marxism some yesterday. Oh, man is basically good. Society is what corrupts them. Well, does that line up with our experience? Like, do we see, like, uh, people who are good uh, as children continue to create good societies? Or do we see societies that are corrupted by the people that are in them? Well, like, it doesn't match up with our experience. Like, it doesn't line up. Like, their answer to the questions of life, like, is mankind basically good? Does it add up to what we see in our experience? The, the answers that the gospel gives do add up to our experience. We might have another question like this then. Someone might say to you, alright, you say that oh, Jesus died for your sins. Yes. Alright, that means you're going to go to heaven. Yes. So that means you can live however you want then, right? You can do whatever you want. Right? Like, once you, once I say I believe in God, then I can go out and rob banks. This, they always use like the worst scenario. I can go kill a hundred people, right? And I'll still be okay. Does the gospel give us an answer to the question, can I live however I want? Really? Chapter six. So just flip over a few chapters. Chapter six, verse one. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? Shall I live however I want so that grace may abound? What's the answer? Certainly not. Why not? Well, am I going to be a slave to sin or am I going to be a slave to righteousness? The question isn't, like, am I a slave because I'm going to be a slave. The question is, what am I going to be a slave to? Will I be a slave to sin or will I be a slave to righteousness? That's the... That's the um, Framework of the gospel. Like, can I live however I want? No. Why not? I don't want to be a slave to sin. I want to do what God wants me to do, uh, not what sin wants me to do. That's chapter 6. Here's a philosophical question that I often run into in the natural sciences. Do you have a free will? Do you have a free will? When you make a choice, is it really your choice? Like a lot of... uh, a lot of people in the natural sciences, they like to say, like, no, you do not have a free will. You're just a product of chemical reactions that are happening in your brain. So if a chemical reaction happens in your brain, it's just your DNA telling you what to do. It predetermines all your decisions. So you're not responsible for any decisions. You don't have a free will. You just do what your DNA says. Well, does that line up with our experience? No, because... I. One of those people go out to lunch with me. They don't sit down and the, you know, the server comes and like, what would you like? They look at the server like, whatever, like, whatever you bring me is what will be predetermined. Like, nobody orders like that. You know, like, my DNA decided. <laughs> like, it doesn't match up to the real experience. Well, what does the gospel have to say about our free will? Well, that's all about chapter seven. Where, um, Paul's like wrestling with this idea of like, verse 15, I, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. So he's like, I'm struggling with this idea of like, I, I want to do this one thing, but I'm, I'm not. I'm doing this thing that I don't like to do. I'm wrestling with my will, and I want it to come into the, the, the rule of the Holy Spirit. That's all about what chapter 7 is about. 
recognizing that I'm morally responsible and that the Holy Spirit can help me make decisions so that uh, I can live in a way that uh, pleases God. The gospel has answers to hard questions, like the question of free will. Another question that um, we often hear about is what about suffering and evil? If God is good, why is there evil in the world? If God is good, why am I suffering? Like, do we have an answer for that? Interestingly, that's chapter 8. <laughs> that God's like, yes, there's suffering. Yes, there's evil. Yes, creation groans. Yes, it's real. But yes, there is a purpose and a plan in it. Verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He predestined and, uh, uh, to be conformed to the image of His Son that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. So we have this like assurance that God's got this plan. He's got our our uh, our, uh, our best interest in mind. And that, by that best interest, I don't mean healthy, wealthy, wise. By that best interest, I mean conform us to the image of His Son. And sometimes it's through suffering that we are more like the Lord Jesus. We learn more things about the Lord Jesus, patience or humility or whatever. And yes, it's hard, but there's answers to suffering. And God's got this plan that suffering isn't going to last forever. Another question they might say is like, does God keep His promises? Is God going to be faithful? Well, that's chapter 9 through 11. God made promises to Israel. He's going to keep those promises even though they're hundreds or thousands of years old. He's going to keep those promises. Like God is faithful. He's going to do what He said He's going to do. Then we might have questions about ethics. Like, uh, how do I live if there's a corrupt government? Like, how do I respond to that? How do I, uh, how do I uh, live a, a, a way that can... Uh, um, um, how do I live with other people who are difficult to get along with? <laughs> like, how do I deal with that? Well, the gospel has answers for that. That's 12 through 16. It's about bearing one another's burdens, about using your spiritual gift, about submitting to the governing authority. My point is this, that if we understand that the gospel has answers to hard questions, then it builds confidence so that when people say like, oh, what do you believe? Why do you believe that? Or, or if we ask them, you know, like the questions we were talking about some yesterday, like, how did you arrive at that conclusion? Like, uh, have you considered that there might be a better answer? And I think that better answer can be found in the truth of the gospel. Like, the gospel has good answers to hard questions. A Roman just gives a good summary of the gospel, and it gives a good summary to answers to some of those hard questions. If we have that kind of confidence, we might not be so afraid to be able to share or be willing to share some of the truth of the gospel, knowing that it's going to answer hard questions. Knowing that it's more than just, I'm believe it and now I'm saved, and that's the end of it. But rather it's, I believe it, now I'm saved, and it gives me a framework for my life. Like, because as I go through difficult times, like, I recognize there's a God's plan has this plan um, for suffering. That uh, God keeps His promises. He's going to be faithful to His promises. That God has questions about what about people who haven't heard. The answer to that question is in Romans chapter 2 and 3. Like, what about people who have never heard the gospel? Is God going to be just when He makes a judgment in their case? Well, there's a good answer. It's in Romans 2 and 3. 
Anyway, we can it builds confidence if we recognize that God has good answers to hard questions, and it's found in the gospel. Oh, Romans just gives us a good summary of that. Let's uh, close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that we won't be afraid to shine a light, that we won't be afraid uh, and put our light under a basket, that we won't be afraid of what people might think. But Lord, help us again to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to think clearly about the now, the truth of the gospel, that is good answers to hard questions. And that these are difficult questions that uh, people face in life, that come up through life. And that the gospel gives us good answers. And that we can be confident as we share those answers with others who are recognizing that the way they see the world, the way they live, the framework of their life, is uh, empty and inadequate. That they recognize that it doesn't match up with their experiences, their inconsistencies and uh, hypocrisies and... Uh, They are looking for a better explanation, a better answer. And the gospel offers that. Lord, help us to be confident um, to share it, to know it, to learn it, to grow in it, to share it, and to live it. Lord, we pray this in the name and for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Yes! (laughs) Heavenly Father, thank you again just for your goodness. Lord, uh, the way you provide for us on a daily basis and consistently, it is evidence of your faithfulness. It is evidence of your goodness. And Lord, as we just uh, spend some time enjoying food, recognizing again that you have made food with different flavors, and you've given us the capacity to enjoy foods with different flavors, Lord, may our hearts just thrill with joy and gladness. And uh, uh, we can enjoy the goodness that it represents as a gift from you. But also, Lord, even richer, the fellowship that we can enjoy with other saints and believers. And uh, that the beauty that we can enjoy around the person of your Son, that we can have this bond, we can have this common ground in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we're so grateful for these things. We just want to give you thanks with grateful hearts in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.